Hey folks, Riley here with a special announcement before we kick off today's episode. As we recorded this episode earlier today, I completely spaced making an announcement. And so thus this quick message before the episode. Next Tuesday evening, July 31st at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, that would be 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, and 6 p.m. Pacific, we will have our monthly Guardian Nation live event. This month we have on the program Clint Macro of Trigger Pressers Union. Now, this is the founder of Trigger Pressers Union. If that isn't enough to intrigue you enough to come to this GN live event, I don't know what is because that's probably the freaking coolest name for a training company anywhere. <laughs> so anyway, Clint Macro, he's a well-respected uh, trainer, instructor, coach, published author. Uh, he, he's a family first responder. He's the founder of the Trigger Pressers Union and co-administrator of the National Trina Teacher Day, which we pushed pretty heavy on a couple months ago. So we are super excited to have Clint on Guardian Nation Live with us Tuesday evening at uh, Tuesday evening, July 31st, that is, at 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I hope to see you there. Uh, if you now you do need to be a Guardian Nation member to attend this special live event. Uh, if you are, in fact, a Guardian Nation member, all you got to do is log into, the, into your dashboard, go to the Guardian Nation Live button in the dashboard area, and the link where you can join the broadcast is right there. And you can join a couple minutes before the, the, the event kicks off at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And then uh, that's your opportunity to watch live the interview that Jacob and I will do together with Clint. And you can participate by asking questions and getting answers directly from Mr. Macro. So with that, I hope to see you there. Once again, if you're not a Guardian Nation member, you can find out how to get involved in that. Go to GuardianNation.com, get signed up today. Lots of really cool, exciting stuff coming soon, by the way. Uh, The membership is getting better all the time. I just want you to know that. So anyway, let's kick off today's episode. Have a great day. This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 241. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today on this special episode, Matthew Marister. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you, Riley? I'm awesome, dude. Not as awesome <laughs> as you, though, because I saw that you broke out the root beer and yeah, IBC, which actually, just so it's clear, folks, IBC is good, but it is not my favorite, but it's pretty close. So, but either way, he's sitting there enjoying an IBC and I'm sitting here very IBC less. Yeah. Not cool. I, you know, I, you, you left these at the house and I, I purposely <laughs> saved it for, for the first episode that I could show it to you and tease you with it. <laughs> oh man. Of course you would. Speaking of which, uh, this is the first episode, uh, that you and I are doing remotely once again, last time we were in the same room together, and it was awesome. Yeah, it was cool. It was the first <laughs> time we did it that way. That was cool. For sure, for sure, man. So what's up, folks? Today is our news episode. We've got a 
crap load. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it of stories to cover. Uh, we've got five stories in the legislative updates category, four stories in other news. We have a what not to do story, and we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight justified stories. Normally, we try to limit those to three or four. And today, we are going to go through those faster than we probably normally do. It's going to be literally more of a reporting, but we'll touch on some key facts and uh, things that you know we think are important as we go through those as fast as we can. So here we go. Whirlwind of an episode today, and we're also kind of catching up from things we've missed the last few weeks. First up, though, today's episode is brought to you by Mission First Tactical's new IWB-OWB appendix ambidextrous holster. That's a mouthful. You can check it out today by going over to concealedcarry.com forward slash MFT holster. Pretty cool little holster. I think. Did you do a review on that one? Uh, no, they're going to send one out ah. so I could take a look at it. So cool, check cool. it out. See what's what's going on with it. Yeah, I mean, it looks cool. Ambidextrous. You can use it OWB. You can do it IWB. You can do IWB appendix. You can do IWB in the traditional location, however you want to do it. Um, we'll see. Matthew will probably get his hands on one and review it. But uh, if you're looking for something, I'll tell you what. I know Mission First Tactical makes really good quality gear. So pretty much any, anything I've seen from them, I've been happy with. So it might be worth checking out. Today's episode is also brought to you by Holster Partners Body Shield product. It's one that I don't personally use or feel a need for. However, for some of you out there, this fills a niche that... Uh, hopefully will make some of you happy. So what the holster partner is, is basically an aftermarket, like attachable leather uh, uh, sweat guard or sweat shield for your holster. Those of you that struggle with holsters that don't come with a sweat guard or it doesn't come with a large enough sweat guard, they have a lot of different sizes available. I have tested it and it worked as advertised and the Velcro and everything, the way it attached worked just fine. Um, just not a product that I really need or see a use for personally, but if it's something for you, you can check that one out at concealedcarry.com forward slash holster partner. All right. That's our sponsors for today. And so we got to move right along here, Mr. Marister to this week's case of the week. So this one, of course, from attorney Andrew Brinka, uh, I've got it queued up here. Andrew Branca of the Law of Self-Defense, author of the book Law of Self-Defense, preeminent attorney and authority on this very topic. We are pleased to be partnered up with him on bringing you these segments. So here is this week's Case of the Week. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This Case of the Week comes out of Virginia and involves a man who fought off two burglars. As a preface, however, I'm often asked to describe the most common way that people mess up their claim of self-defense. And I always have to wince and say that there isn't a single most common way. People find an apparently infinite number of different ways to step outside the bounds of lawful self-defense. Often there were a bunch of exits off that use of force freeway that they ought to have taken but didn't. And in terms of normally law-abiding people, this is generally done not out of malice but out of simple ignorance. I mean ignorance not in a derogatory sense but in a technical sense. They simply were ignorant 
of where the legal boundaries were, and they stepped over them without even knowing it. In their minds, they have a genuine good faith belief that they were acting in lawful self-defense. I can't believe I'm being prosecuted for self-defense may be among the most common statements I hear from clients in cases on which I consult. Indeed, it's not unusual to see a claimed justification use of force fail, not from merely a single error, but for the defender to engage in a cascade of errors, each building on top of the mistakes already made in the encounter. A good example of this kind of cascade failure of self-defense occurred in a case out of Virginia, which just ended in some social media outrage when the defender, quote-unquote, involved in the case was compelled to take a misdemeanor plea deal after using a gun to fight off a pair of home invaders, burglars. Now, stated in that fashion, this certainly seems to be a case of outrageous injustice. Perhaps not surprisingly, however, the actual facts of the case shed light on why this legal outcome was perhaps not as unreasonable as it might first appear. Now, the facts viewed in light most favorable to the defender are that he was in the backyard of his home when he observed two strangers enter his home through the front door. His home had just recently been burglarized, and the defender decided to intervene and stop what certainly appeared to be a follow-on burglary. The defender, who was armed with a handgun, entered the home through the back door and confronted the two burglars, which resulted in a physical confrontation. In the course of that physical confrontation, one of the burglars was shot in the face by the defender and then was shot twice more. Both burglars were ultimately arrested, charged, and convicted of felony burglary. So how did the defender end up getting charged and taking a plea deal requiring 30 days in jail, two years of supervised release, and five years loss of his gun rights? Well, for several reasons. First, the home in question was not actually the defender's home, at least not any longer. Although the defender had previously lived in the house, he had since moved to a new residence. He had, however, left some of his personal property behind, planning to pick it up at a later date. And during this delay in moving... The previous residence was burglarized while the defender wasn't there and some of his property was stolen. Reasonably enough, he reported the burglary to the police, but because he was unsatisfied with the police response, he made another step in the cascade of errors. That second error was to decide to take the law into his own hands by arming himself and setting up a tent in the backyard of his former residence in the expectation that the burglar would return to steal more stuff. His third error was that when he observed two men entering the home, presumably to burglarize it again, as would turn out to be the case, instead of calling the police to report a burglary in progress, the defender decided to enter the house, which, remember, is no longer his home, and confront the burglars with a firearm. When he did so, he ended up in a physical confrontation with one of the burglars, shooting that burglar in the face. Incidentally, the defender would later concede that he knew neither of the men was armed. The two burglars then fled from the house. Folks, remember, when you go to a fight, like this guy went into the house when he didn't have to, wasn't his home anymore. When you go to the fight, rather than the fight coming to you, it's not going to look much like self-defense to a lot of people. His fourth error was not only did he enter the house and confront them, but when the burglars fled, he pursued them out of the house towards their vehicle, continuing to fire at them as they ran, striking one of the burglars twice in the buttocks. So in the back, incidentally, those rounds are flying around a residential neighborhood. Pro tip, if you're pursuing, you make it pretty easy for a prosecutor to argue that even if the person you're chasing might originally have initiated the confrontation, you've now become the active aggressor in a second fight. But the defender didn't stop there. His fifth error 
occurred after the two burglars were in their vehicle and driving away. The defender ran up to the car and fired two shots into the vehicle. Now, there may be circumstances in which it's appropriate to shoot into the other guy's vehicle if he's using it as a weapon to try to drive over you, for example, or if he's shooting at you from inside his own vehicle. But when the other guy is using the car to escape from your use of force, firing into the vehicle is probably not the right thing to do. As is often the case in these kinds of use of force encounters gone wrong, the defender here continues to have a genuine good faith belief that his conduct was lawful. As the news article reports, during his sentencing, the defender reiterated that he did not believe what he did was wrong and he was outwardly angry at the prospect of incarceration. In fact, on the merits of this case, he's quite lucky he was permitted to plead to a mere misdemeanor. and many jurisdictions, an attempted murder or felony aggravated assault charge would not have been out of the question. Thanks for there you have it. That's another case this uh, from case of the week from attorney Andrew Brinka of Law of Self Defense. Um, hope you enjoyed that one. A lot of lessons to be learned, Matthew. What do you think, <laughs> huh? Yeah, I don't think any of our listeners uh, didn't know any of those lessons, right? Um, <laughs> but it it is amazing when you you know some of these stories that you when you when you piece them together and you see exactly what the people did. You can, I mean. It's ridiculous. Like his actions are completely, <laughs> I mean, no, no reasonable person. I, I, I don't, I don't understand how he could argue with a straight face that he, you know, it was, he acted in self-defense. It's, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> I can't, I'm at a loss of words really. Yep. I mean, and Michael here is commenting on Facebook. He says, wow, just wow. Camped out and waited chasing them and firing. He's lucky he didn't get convicted as a felon. So yeah, camp camped out and waited. I mean, you know, you know, you got a situation, you know, it's one that you should let the uh, authorities handle. And yet, you know, because of frustration, anger, ego, whatever it is, I I can't stand for these guys to get away with this again. I'm going to, I'm going to put an, it's like the guy in Texas, right? That, that killed the two, uh, robbers, you know, of of his neighbor's house, right? Mm -hmm. Um, calling 911 saying, I'm going to go shoot these guys. I can't, you know, (laughs) let them get away. And the dispatcher's like, you know, no, sir, stay, stay right where you are. Put that firearm away. You know, don't, don't do this. And he goes out and. He goes out to find them, and I mean, supposedly something happens, so he fires. Right? I mean, think about it. it's it, you use deadly force as a last resort. This there's not a last resort anywhere in this whole story. Like not <laughs> not even at one point where like I could kind of see at this point, even though he initiated. I mean, not at one point is could I say, yeah, you you acted you know appropriately in response to a threat and use deadly force as the last resort to save your life. I mean, no, not, not one, not, not at one point in this whole story. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, lesson learned. I mean, good, 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 uh, case of the week, but I, I'm pretty sure most of our, uh, our listeners <laughs> are like scratching their head, like, Holy cow. They, they better be Matthew. They better be. Okay. All right, guys. First news story, um, and this is this is just in. Okay, uh, we prepared the outline of stories ahead of time. You know, we we try to keep things up to date as much as possible. But literally, I just saw this pop up on one of my feeds. 
as we were listening to Andrew do his case of the week. And this is out of the Ninth Circuit Court, which, I mean, this is this is crazy stuff, man. <clears throat> Appeals Court rules Second Amendment allows open carry of guns. Hmm. Ooh, boy. Interesting. All right, so... Out of Los Angeles, a federal appeals court ruled Tuesday that the Second Amendment protects the right to openly carry a gun in public for self-defense. The Ninth Circuit Court ruled two to one that Hawaiian officials had violated George Young's rights when he was denied a permit to openly carry a loaded gun in public to protect himself. The decision reversed a lower court ruling that sided with officials who said the amendment only applied to guns kept in homes. We do not take lightly the problem of gun violence, which the state of Hawaii has understandably sought to fight. By the way, every state tries to fight gun violence, of course. But for better or worse, the Second Amendment does protect a right to carry a firearm in public for self-defense. This according to Judge Diarmud O'Scanlane. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but there you go. Um this is this is this is I said this is crazy stuff. It's crazy because I would not have expected to see a ruling like this, nor would I expect to see this out of the Ninth Circuit Ninth. Court. Mm-hmm. We got mm-hmm. a couple other things in today's podcast about the Ninth Circuit Court. So boom, it's looking like I mean here here's the situation, right? You got a state like Hawaii that doesn't basically it's it's definitely not a shall not, shall issue state for permits, right? Open carry prohibited. Now you have a federal court saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> People have a right, a fundamental right to defend themselves, not just inside their homes, but outside their homes. And I think in this specific case, they're looking at, well, Hawaii doesn't, you know, concealed carry is not an issue in this particular case. They're looking at an open carry incident. And this, this might very well open the door for Hawaiians to be able to carry openly. As well as other states. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. what do you think, Matthew? Yeah, when when you you put it up there and I was like, no way. I I, I kind of read it a couple of times. I was I thought I was reading it, you know, backwards. Like <laughs> that, that it was, you know, it wasn't um, you know, that it was struck down or whatnot. But the fact that like you said, I mean, out of the ninth circuit, that's crazy. And so I'm sure it's going to be appealed and bounce around and everything. But the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court is slowly, you know, starting to be a little bit more, um, maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say pro-gun, but uh, possibly on face pro, more pro-gun than some of these lower court cases have been kicking around. They they might be scared to even pursue them up into the, the uh, you know, uh, U.S. Supreme Court. So maybe these slower rulings are going to stay, you know, it's going to be harder for them to, uh, to fight. So who knows? Yeah. Now, um, Jay here commented that, uh, he said he read some of the decision. Did you all know Mr. Young? That's the, the, uh, plaintiff in this case was pro se in the case, meaning that he, he basically did this on his own. Okay. So not, wasn't backed or wasn't a part of a group or anything like that. So that's that's pretty interesting. Michael says, I personally have no interest in open carry outside the home. I generally agree with you, Michael. Um, I you know I don't necessarily advise people to carry openly. I, I think there's a lot of reasons against it from a tactical 
uh, you know, perspective. But if you're in a state where concealed carry is basically not allowed, and now a federal court says you can open carry, well, I know what I would do. You know what that might do is force the hand of the of the of the state and or local governments to go, okay, we'd rather not see these people running around openly carrying. So maybe we should do something to facilitate them so they can have concealed carry permits, mm-hmm. which I think would be a far better uh, option for most people. And also some sometimes uh, states that have open carry, uh, allow open carry, um, legally speaking, sometimes um, like let's say brandishing laws are a little bit different because it is legal to open carry. So just the mere presence of a gun openly, if you're concealing it and it's exposed, some people say, oh, you know, if, if you expose it, uh, you're breaking the law. Well, open carry is okay. So if, if open carry is allowed and your gun is exposed, it's not a crime if open carry is allowed and if open carry is not allowed and it's exposed. And so um, it, it can't hurt. Like the, the, these types of rulings can't hurt at all. Yeah. And I totally agree. You know, I'm not a big fan of open carry either, but, um, but yeah. Yep. Awesome. Breaking news there on a ruling out of the ninth, ninth court. Here's a, an, another awesome update. Matthew, give us a rundown on this. This is according to firearmsnews.com, which by the way, I don't know where I missed this, but apparently firearmsnews.com is form is the former shotgun news. that has been around forever. And for a long time, I've thought, why the heck is the shotgun news not called something more generic? Because they report on all sorts of things that are not just shotgun. Actually, most of the stuff you see there is not shotgun necessarily related. Uh, so anyway, firearmsnews.com. I think that's great. That's a much better name. Uh, firearmsnews.com reports gun owner groups win lawsuit against city of Columbus. Yeah. Your so city, we covered, bro. Yeah, we, we covered this. A couple times, right? Uh, initially, when when they first came up, but um, basically the argument was uh, Ohio has a preemption law, and we covered this before. But preemption law basically allows uh, or prohibits the, the cities from uh, creating more prohibitive gun laws than what the state allows. So, um, and so in this case, the city of Columbus passes a law that says uh, bump stocks are banned. And so, of course, um, that's more prohibitive than the Ohio law that does not ban uh, bump stocks. So a um, couple groups in Ohio, pro-gun groups, um, uh, file a lawsuit against the city and they win. Um, and it's pretty cool because uh, Judge Kane, the, 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 the um, judge in the, the, the final judgment, uh, he says, Columbus logic doesn't work. It's clear that a bump stock is a component of a firearm. Since this is so, a bump stock ban forbid, for, forbids something that state law allows, i.e. ownership of firearm components. The bump stock ban is in conflict with, um, uh, and it's just a code right here. So, you know, it, it just... This is, I, I just wish, I don't understand really why some of these cities think that they can do these things that are clearly like on face value um, against either the state constitution or, I mean, in, in some cases, um, you know, the U.S. constitution. This is clearly against preemption law. I mean, without a, without a, 
just on face value. So they waste taxpayers' dollars to to file, you know, uh, for for defense of these uh, stupid bills that don't do anything to um, to protect the citizens or to make anybody safer, which is what their claim is. Instead of taking this money and actually using it to, I don't know, hire more cops or give them more training or do this or that, instead they're 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 defending these stupid laws that are on face value, never going to pass. So um, good, good thing on um, groups in Columbus that, uh, that stood up to this and, and the people that went out there. And I, I mean, I was kind of dialed into this, but um, yeah, I mean, and there, there's one right now, Cincinnati filed the same, the same uh, law and it's going to go through the same process as this and it's going to be struck down. I mean, it cannot not be struck down. So I just, um, hopefully other states that are doing these things with preemption laws. And I know Denver's kind of different because they grandfathered in somehow that, um, you know, that, that ban that they, that well, Denver has. But. We had a weak sauce Supreme court that didn't uphold preemption statute. It's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I am glad to see this one uh, going the direction that it did. Uh, you know, course this could still turn into you know this could be appealed uh potentially so you know got to stay on top of that but for right now this stupid bump stock ban is is not not happening as of right now and i i appreciate that uh, judge kane had the perspective that he did with this as far as like uh bump stock i'm sorry guys it's just an accessory right that's basically as i'm kind of reading the language here it's it's a component. It's an accessory. It's just this thing. It doesn't, you know, it, <laughs> you can attach it to a gun, but it's not a gun. And there's nothing whatsoever under state law that would even suggest remotely that this would be prohibited for some reason. Thus, this law, this city stat or city uh, uh, ordinance cannot stand. And just real quick, you know, I I think it's kind of weird or or sometimes important to point out that like. As a judge, this guy might, he might totally be against bump stocks, right? Yeah. But as a good judge, you have to just look at the law on face value and say, okay, does this, is this congruent with what in the law? Is this legal? And, you know, I think the problem is, is, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, judges should do this or they should do that, or we should put a judge in that's going to do this. And it's like, no, you don't want a judge that's going to go <laughs> and do something Hell, you you want a judge that's going to look at the law and apply the law fairly, yep. and, and and that I mean on face value, he's saying it's 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 not a you can't ban it. It's a component. It's like you can't ban uh you know a what a front sight on a firearm. You can't ban it. It's a component of the firearm. It's no different. So um, I just thought it was. I sometimes hear people yep. say we got to get a judge that's going to do this, and it's like no, you don't uh, want judges legislating, and too many of them no. do that. And that's where really, really bad rulings come from is when judges legislate instead of doing their job and interpret the law as it exists. Okay, got to move along. <clears throat> good good stuff, Matthew. Here's another story. This one on NRAILA.org website, the state of Washington. Um, or excuse me, not the state of Washington, is it? This is C- yeah, Seattle. I'm thinking of a different story. Sorry, I got a lot going on here in the brain. Uh, NRA and the the NRA and the Second Amendment Foundation filed lawsuit against the city of Seattle. Uh, and why did they do that? Well, because the city said 
they passed an ordinance recently to require firearm storage, you know, in a certain way. Uh, according to this article, this ordinance, which would unquestionably restrict the self-defense rights of Seattle residents by imposing a one-size-fits-all method of storing firearms, was passed by the city council in clear violation of Washington's, once again, here's another one of these, state preemption statute. Washington State Pre, uh, Firearm Preemption Statute was passed in 1983 to keep firearm and ammunition laws consistent throughout the state by establishing that the state legislature has full authority to regulate and create laws pertaining to firearms and ammunition. <clears throat> These statutes obviously prevent having a patchwork of ridiculous gun control laws that are difficult for gun owners to comply with, which we see on a nationwide basis, and we see in far too many other uh, states that have similar or don't maybe have these preemption preemption statutes. Anyway, so this uh, ordinance was passed. What it details is that it would be illegal for a resident to keep firearms in a home unless they are kept in a locked container at all times when not being carried by the owner or other lawfully authorized user. Additionally, it creates a separate offense for an individual that has their firearms stolen or accessed by a minor or prohibited person, even if the firearms were stored in a locked container or obtained through illegal means such as burglary or theft. How ridiculous is that? It's like, it's like you, you, it's a lose, lose. If you lose, if you fail to store, store the guns according to the way they tell you that you have to. Um, and then if you actually do comply with that, then you lose, even if you're in compliance you still lose if somehow somebody still manages to steal those those firearms. So, <laughs> I mean, this is the this is the epitome of draconian law that targets gun owners and turns them into criminals for no reasonable reason. <laughs> reasonable reason. Mm -hmm. That's that's yeah, good. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and, 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 and you know, I'm good. I'm I you know I actually believe. Uh, and every reasonable gun owner is probably like, well, I understand that the gun should probably be locked up if it's not on the person or, you know, I, everybody, everybody understands that. Right. But like in order to, to, to write a law like that, how are you going to enforce it? Number one. <laughs> and what is the, what is the punishment? You know, it just, it, it's a law that, that sounds good. Like everybody's, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, you know, we're uh, fighting, you know, gun violence and we're going to make, sure people lock up their guns. Well, how are you going to enforce it? Well, we're not really sure. Okay. Well, what, if, what if somebody that, breaks into that person's home and steals it, yep. you know, and uses it in a crime? Uh, we'll charge that guy. What the guy who shot him? No, no, no. The guy who had it in his house and was locked up. We'll charge him. Okay. <laughs> so that, that's what happens when you pass the law that's unenforceable. Cause you're right. You know, this, this requirement to store them in some sort of locked container is unenforceable. Uh, and thus, you have to have that second piece that if somebody that's unauthorized to have that gun gets a hold of it, then you are responsible for it. You are charged. That's the enforcement. It's a ridiculous way, and it's a, a re enforcement that takes place well after the fact. Like, assuming a, a firearm owner fails to comply with the first requirement, like, it, by that point, it's too late anyway. So there is, still is no virtual – there's still no enforcement. Here's where it leads – when you have places that pass laws like this, now I'm not saying this is what, this is what would happen in the city of Seattle, although it could, but uh, what what happens is to, to enforce a law like this, Matthew, you have to have inspections. And that's what happens in the city of New York. That is what well, happens her, in New York. When you apply like, for hey, a well, permit to 
buy or own a, a firearm in the city, particularly a handgun, in the city of New York, part of that application process to get that permit just to buy the stupid thing is for them to come and inspect where and how that will be stored. And then that gives them the opportunity to, one, enforce that, and number two, tell you if the manner in which you choose to store your firearm is not adequate. Right. Uh, yeah, that, that safe you have, it's not up to code. Uh, we'll actually sell you one that's up to code. It's $500 more, but you won't be in violation of the law. Which one do you want? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll buy the $500 one that you're selling me that's in, co- in compliance. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, okay. Now, to people's points, you know, that, that are complaining against this law for a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons is that it puts them at risk of not being able to retrieve their firearm in an adequate fashion, you know, quickly enough to defend themselves in the case of a break-in, you know, and that that break-in happens to be one of a violent nature. Now, to be fair, I store my firearms responsibly, right? I know you do too. I've got quick access safes for my handguns. Those are my primary go-to. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. I suspect that those would comply with a with a an ordinance like this. But it's not fair to require gun owners to do something like that. So anyway, got to move on here. Next story from the NRA ILA, we have the state of Illinois where the governor signs two gun control bills. Why don't you take this one away for us as well? Yeah, so uh, state of Illinois, Governor Bruce Rauner signed House Bill 2354 uh, and Senate Bill 3256 into law. Uh, the NRA opposed these bills during the legislative process because they will allow Second Amendment rights to be revoked without due process. Um, so basically, House Bill 2354 um, allowed for the issuance of the protective orders, these red flag orders that we've been talking about. Um, and these are done ex parte. So the person um, that is, you know, the defendant or the person who's the subject of these, this red flag order would not have to be present. So basically, uh, somebody goes in, uh, says, hey, so-and-so shouldn't have a gun because they did X, Y, and Z. What's the evidence? Uh, he has, this is a text message, I think, this and that. Okay, well, let's let's go and take his firearms or he's prohibited from owning firearms. And then we'll give him a date to show up a couple of days later and, you know, um, and plead his case. So uh, not great because you're stripping somebody of their their uh, constitutional protected right without due process of law, which is part of <laughs> a part of our uh, constitution, right? Um, and then Senate Bill thirty two fifty six um, was the basically they had a seventy two hour waiting period uh, for handguns, and they had a twenty four hour pe- pe- waiting period for <laughs> long guns. And obviously, waiting periods are utterly ridiculous. They serve no purpose. They you absolutely do nothing. Not, um, not true. Not true. According to the other <laughs> side, Matthew, this prevents crimes of passion from occurring. You're yeah, in the heat yeah. of the moment. It'll actually keep you from, you know, carrying, you know, through with those terrible, <laughs> terrible thoughts that you're having in your head. 
I just, I, I don't buy it. Like, I, I'm sorry. Somebody could tell me this, but anyways, so Senate bill 3256 would do away with the 24 hour wearing period for long guns and make it in the same as uh, handguns and make it 72 hours. That way, everybody's safe from handguns and long guns for 72 hour period from a nut case. So, um, yeah, so this is ridiculous, you know, <laughs> it, I guess it buys victims 24 hours to either flee the city or whatever's going to happen, um, in the meantime. But, um, yeah, just, I, I absolutely, both of these, uh, the wrong direction of, of what should be going on in, in, um, Illinois, which seemed to have a couple, you know, uh, wins legislatively, um, over the past couple months, but. This like one's said, a step back for sure. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, you can't rest on your laurels. You can't. You can't get lax um, because when you do, this kind of stuff happens. So, yep. um, all right. Here's another case out of the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, according to the NRAILA.org, federal appellate court upholds decision to block California's magazine surrender requirement. Uh, so now, by the way, uh, I am going to actually respond right now too. We had a, we had a listener write into the podcast, uh, sent us a uh, an email, and said, "Hey guys, when you did episode such and such, I don't, I think it was maybe two episodes ago, you said something about California that was not entirely correct. That that might have been true. And to be honest with you, I don't remember what I said half the time. I don't remember what I say. Uh, <laughs> I just you know we just we just do our thing." And to be honest with you, it's so challenging to stay on top of everything that is or is not happening in 50 states across America. So if I said something that was incorrect, I'm sorry about that. I'll do my best to hopefully in this in this story, actually the next two stories, correct that. Um, so the uh, in California last year, law was passed, right? They said no more than 10-round magazines, period right? Because there was still some that were grandfathered in and you know, you could have 30 round magazine in your AR if you had the bullet button, you know, and all this stuff. Right. And so all that's changed. Um, but however, uh, in the case Duncan versus Becerra, and I think Becerra, I think is the attorney general. Yeah. Yeah. He's the attorney general. So, you know, this is a, a man by the last name of Duncan that is, that sued the state, specifically the attorney general, uh, saying, hey, you know what? This is against the Second Amendment, you know, classic, you know, uh, case that we see so often. And really what was a big issue here is that the expectation, from what I understand, now if I get this wrong, I apologize, but from what I understand, was that people were going to have to surrender, turn in, you know, in other words, all these grandfathered magazines, mm -mm, no more, turn them in. a certain date, yep. Yeah, and I know that they were pushing the, to get that done. And I, I know this was going on too with assault weapons. They were going to require registration on assault weapons. And that's the next story here. You know what? We'll just talk about these both together. And this was one of the stories specifically that was sent to me from our listener who wished to not be identified on the episode, uh, an episode, uh, article from the firearms policy coalition, uh, saying that the attorney general of California, Xavier Becerra, uh, withdrew the latest assault weapon proposed regulation after strong opposition, uh, saying that, and there was a lawsuit in they, they were working on that as well, uh, suing him, suing him over this as well. So currently my understanding in California, 
you would know too, to some degree, I know it's, I know it's been probably close to a decade or, or, or yeah, or so that, that since you've lived there, but handguns in California right now have to be registered mm-hmm. yeah. and long rifles don't, but the change in the legislation was that they were going to restart requiring registration on these classes of, of long rifles, primarily AR 15s and so forth. Right. Mm-hmm. And so apparently according to this article from firearmspolicy.org, uh, the uh, State Department of Justice, uh, headed by the Attorney General, Becerra, uh, have chosen to not move forward with this uh, registration requirement. Uh, there was a, a, a date, I think they had to, people were supposed to register by, and like hardly anybody did it. And they're like, yeah, obviously this isn't working. So apparently, I, I guess that's going away, the, re- the re- registration requirement. Um, and as for the magazine thing, we'll see if this goes any further. It would obviously have to go next from a federal appeals court would have to go up, up the chain, uh, I believe to the Supreme court. So, um, but for right now they can't ban these large capacity magazines. And I think basically what they're saying here is you, they can't do this and require people to surrender them. Yeah. So, well, as far as what I understand, there's still, you still can't import them. Right. You can't purchase them. You can't, you know, you can't produce them. That's, you know, that's fine. Um, but they can't go one step ahead and say, okay, those, that, that property that you legally possess and you lawfully possess, you have a certain date that you have to relinquish that to the government or sell it or get it out of the state, or you become a criminal. Yep. You can't do that. So you, it, it's it's un, you know unduly whatever the the, the term was. So you, they can't do that. So they're saying, look, if you want to ban new you know people from purchasing more, okay, that's fine. You can do that. But the ones that people already have, you cannot make them a criminal just merely by possessing them because you want to you know uh, create a law. You can't do that. Um, I mean, think about it. You could, they could, and if that was allowed, they could say anybody with a firearm period, you know, we're going to write a law and say anybody with a firearm period, you have a certain amount of days to turn it in or you're a criminal. I mean, what else could you, you know, so it's a legally law, you know, a legal, um, legally obtained piece of property. Um, so that, that was, I think the biggest thing. And I, I, I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, Basira, man, that guy is, he's out there. So mm-hmm. I feel for you guys out in California. Yep. Now I do need to retract what I said a moment ago, as far as this was actually a decision that was just by a part of the ninth circuit courts. And that's one of the ways they handle a lot of these cases is, you know, you you basically take a part of these federal courts and they'll rule on things. Right. And then there's the option to appeal to the whole uh, circuit court, uh, which that is, that is the next step at this point. Also, apparently there's still some underlying issues with this case that still need to be resolved uh, before the judge, uh, Benitez, who could change his mind on some of some some issues in the case. We'll just try to stay on top of that. And uh, yeah, we got to move along. Okay, so that's our, I think, all of our legislative updates. Now on to other news in the industry. Uh, last week, I think it was on Sunday, Monday... No, maybe it's been it's been two weeks. No, I swear it's just last week. Um, the uh, channel, uh, Showtime, right, has a new series that is produced by Sasha Baron Cohen. 
Who is America, I think is what the name of this new series is called. The very first episode that was released, I think is a seven episode series, a relatively short episodes, like I think like 10, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, something like that. Just like little segments, little snippets, supposedly of America from the eyes of, you know, Borat, (laughs) essentially, right? So um, this first episode came out. And we had a little bit of heads up on this, meaning that a number of months ago, there were several in the industry that were courted and some fell for this effort to basically trick them into doing some pretty silly things on camera. Okay. One of those individuals was um, Philip Van Cleef who is the head of Virginia Citizens, what is it, VCDL. I always struggled getting the whole, like I know the organization. Help me out here, Matthew. Virginia Citizens Defense. Yes, thank you. League, right? Virginia Citizens Defense League. That's what it is, VCDL, Virginia Citizens Defense League. Such a mouthful. Come on, people, come up with easy names. Okay, so um, Philip Van Cleve is the head of that organization. All right, now VCDL. Is, is a great organization from what I've seen in years past. They've, they've worked on great things, okay? I'm not so sure what to think about their leader, okay? If you have not seen this video, and if you go to the news article in the show notes, there's you can click on, on a play button here, and you can watch the video, all right? It's, it's bad, okay? This is bad. And you don't just have Van Cleve. You have also... Larry Pratt, okay, Trent Lott, uh, Joe Wilson, Joe Walsh, and others participating in this um, video, okay, where basically Sasha has duped them into doing some or saying some ridiculous things. Most of these people have come out and said, you know, uh, well, there's been a couple different reasonings. Well, you know, I, I, it, I was tricked into this, you know, and uh, I was duped. Uh, they, they, they did certain things that convinced me that it was okay or what. I don't know. Like, I believe the latest from Philip Van Cleve is that uh, I, I think the angle he's trying to take is that, well, I just I decided to go along with it because it seemed like it was like a joke sort of thing. And they edited it in a certain way <laughs> to make it sound like he was answering one question and then, you know, and then they put it in a different way to made it sound like he was saying something else, which isn't entirely uh, unheard of. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I saw this pop up on like a couple of things on social media and I saw, I think like... Uh, Rob Pink is posted something and a couple mm-hmm. other, other and like, I didn't really follow it. Cause I was like, Oh, it's one of these like, you know, things. And um, I'm not going to get into, into this like whole video thing. But then I started reading and I'm like, Oh man, this is kind of bad. It just, you know, if you think about it, think about like, these guys are probably sitting around thinking they're talking to somebody who's, I don't know, their buddy and they're joking around. And like, if you know, some of the people, some of the comments you see on Facebook, right. Somebody says, um, you see, a a shooting or something. And they're like, Oh, good thing that that guy got shot, you know, one less criminal or whatever. And like they, they're saying it in a, amongst a bunch of people that probably, you know, pat them up. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I like that post and stuff without really taking any, 
in saying like, man, that's really probably not what people should be promoting. And then when it comes out, you're like, oh, now I see that I probably <laughs> shouldn't said, said something like that. So right. I think that's probably some of this, like they were all like, hey, you know, let's get together and joke around and stuff. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh man, like I didn't mean it that way, but now it's out and it makes a bunch of people that are supposedly you know, head yep. in the industry or, you know, figures in the industry look like they're just complete nutcases. So here, here's the thing, man. I, I don't care if you thought this was some joke, some, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, you know, kind of comedy, but what, what's, there's, starts with an S. I'm struggling here to pull it satire. out. Satire. Satire, yeah. Some sort of satirical, you know, thing. And I don't, I don't care if that's what you think you were participating in, that it was just a joke and then we we're just doing it for fun. You are the head of not the largest, but a pretty large and fairly influential firearm uh, gun rights organization. You're the head. Okay. I don't care who you are, but if you're in that position as the leader of an organization like that, you don't do, you don't go along with and do this kind of stuff because I don't care who you are. Once that gets out, even if it's clear to the viewers that, that you as a participant are in on the joke, it still looks bad. It's, it, it, it's, it's not advisable. Like you got to be more responsible being in the position that you're in, Right. Uh, you know, I could say whatever I want. I'm just this lowly podcast host, but but when you're the leader of the NRA, the SAF, the GOA, um, which by the way, Larry Pratt from the Gun Owners of, of America, he's on there reading a statement that these guys wrote up for him to read, and he he goes along with it. And we have no context of what came before that. I mean, there's a little bit of a discussion. Okay, you know, like they're, they're kind of talking back and forth about some things. And he kind of says some things you're like, uh, but then when you listen to him read the statement off a teleprompter towards the end of the episode, you're like, oh, man, because he doesn't even know what he's reading. And that's embarrassing and also inappropriate and not okay for the leader of the. So we mentioned VCDL. GOA is probably the second biggest gun rights organization in America, right? Not cool. Larry Pratt, I think these guys need to go. I'm sorry. You know, thank you for everything you've done in the past, Mr. Pratt, Mr. Van Cleve. Thanks for everything you did in the past. But guess what? If you don't have enough respect for us and for the Second Amendment to think before you do this kind of stuff or say these sorts of things or go along with whatever, for whatever reasons, then you don't deserve to be in that position. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, we'll see. There's more episodes of this uh, series coming along. I don't know what, what topics they're going to be about, if it's all going to be gun-related. I don't think it is necessarily. Uh, apparently, um, um, Sarah, what's her name? <laughs> Crap. Sarah. Uh, was going to be vice president, potentially. Sarah Palin. Sarah apparently, she's, uh, she, she's come out and said that they were trying to film something with her as well. Something to do with some veteran supposedly. And, and so I don't know they've been obviously targeting a lot of these primarily 
conservative political icons and leaders to get them to do stuff that is below them as far as their station or their calling uh, or position in life or political office. So we'll see as this moves on. All right. Yeah. Think, think, use that brain. Think before you act. Think before you open your mouth. Yeah. Uh, Michael, Michael comments, there's no room for mistakes like that. You will get eaten alive and ruin it for others. Exactly. exactly. I mean, that's why they don't deserve to represent us anymore. If you're a member of those organizations, I'm not a member of any of, of, VCDL or GOA. I, I was a member of GOA to be, you know, in full disclosure, once upon a time, years and years and years ago, just something that I don't know. I haven't stayed up with. Um, haven't even been following them to be honest with you all that closely. Uh, maybe I should, but I, I, I will be looking a little bit closer because I'm curious to see what comes out of that organization and from its leadership after such a stumble as what has just occurred. All right. New York post reports. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this one, Matthew, because we've reported on this in the past, and we've talked about it several times. Knife attacks and murders spike in the UK. Uh, so they're saying here that total number of homicides, uh, let's see, for the year ending in March. So they're counting basically from April 1st of 2017 through March 31st, 2018, I guess, according to what I'm reading here. Things surged 12%. This is uh, murder and and manslaughter, you know, homicides. Uh, England and Wales surged twelve percent, up to seven hundred one homicides in in the in the country. All right, that is very low still compared to the U.S. This is true. They also have a lot lower population. Um, police recorded knife crimes have also ballooned sixteen percent to forty thousand some odd. Gun crime, 2% uptick, 6,492 offenses. That's quite a few offenses. Okay, so we've already reported on this before. We've talked about it. We know that gun control does not work. We know that there's issues going on over there in the UK that are, they, they got they got issues. They're having big time issues with knife-related knife crime. They're having big issues with just crime, period, compared to the way it's been. This is the thing. People will still say, well, it's still a lot lower than the U.S., but this is the curious thing. It is on the rise, and it's on the rise substantially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people there are not able or allowed to defend themselves. They don't have a Ninth Circuit ruling on matters of self-defense and saying, well, people have the right to carry a gun openly for self-defense. They don't have anything close to that. So... It's it's sad that that's the way it is and that's the way it's going, um, yeah, and, and yeah, I don't I don't know what else to add, Matthew. Yeah, Just, I, I mean, there isn't really much else to add other than crime is going up, uh, homicides is going are going up, uh, violent crime is going up, knife crime is going up, even gun crime, two uh, percent is has gone up. I mean, everything across the board has gone up. They but yet. They believe that banning a firearm will make them safer, and it's obviously not. And so, right. I, I mean, I don't want to draw a correlation to like, oh, you know, gun, you know, gun ban did this. It, it's it's right. much more complex. There, it, there's obviously a lot more going on over there, but yep. that is not one of the things that is helping this situation. So, yep, you you can ban guns all you want, and you know what? I honestly do believe, by the way, if you banned guns. 
and you had a means whereby you could confiscate them effectively, would gun-related crime go down? Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Duh. But crime does not go away. Homicide does not go away. It probably would be reduced. I know that there are some that would take these words, what I'm saying right now, and they'd say, well, that's good enough reason why we should do it because you're saying it probably would be reduced. Yeah, probably would be. But at the expense of what? And I'll tell you what the expense would be that every year in this country, hundreds of thousands and more likely a million plus. It's hard to put a number on exactly, but I believe more than a million times a year in this country, because we're going to cover eight stories today. We still, ooh, we got to move along, Matthew. Eight stories today where people used a gun to defend themselves from a crime occurring towards them, usually crimes of violence, that in the absence of these citizens' rights to possess these guns and use them in self-defense, these are people that would be seriously injured or killed in many instances. Not all, but many. That's, that's, that's the consequence. And you have people right now in the UK that can't defend themselves, can't carry a knife with them, can't carry pepper spray, can't carry a taser. If something goes down, you, you've got zero options. In fact, you, I, there have been plenty of cases where people have actually fought back and because they injured the bad guy, they got charged the bad guy might have also been charged, but the, the fact is, is there's not really, and Michael even comments here, he read somewhere that a guy in the UK used a paintball gun in self-defense and got prosecuted for it. And also, I think, Michael, you also said, let's see, they don't, yeah, they don't have the right to self-defense, at least not in the way we have here, and it's unacceptable. All right, got to move along. NRAILA.org, again. Reporting, it's coming up. Loading, loading, loading. <laughs> Moms Demand Action reportedly told candidate not to talk about support for gun ban. Let's go through this one super Shocker. quick. Okay. So basically we have this Democratic nominee for New York's rural upstate 21st congressional district. Now, something you should know about rural New York. I know a few people that live there. And the, those parts of New York are still very down-to-earth, conservative, freedom loving gun owning you know americans like they that it is upstate new york is totally different than anywhere near new york city or manhattan right um you have a democratic nominee that has a pretty big fight if she's going to have any sort of chance of winning in this district her name is tedra or tedra cobb and basically she was meeting with a group of young supporters. Topic of gun control came up. Um, and apparently she would not say whether she would support assault weapons ban or things like that. Um, and it has come out now that the reason she's not saying what her actual belief or position is is because Moms Demand Action told her not to. Because if she did, she would have no chance of winning in that district. Yep, probably true. So there you go. Because, because her actual belief is that there should be an assault weapons ban. Correct. So... So they're saying, hey, don't don't say anything. Keep your belief and at least you'll get elected and then you can, you know, pull the mask off and be like, Haha, you know, I actually do support weapons bans and things like that. So thanks for, you know, voting for me based on stuff that I didn't tell you. Yep. So pretty bogus. Here's what I find interesting about this, Matthew, is that what this tells me is it's, it's very much um, an, an, an admission by Moms Demand Action, 
that they can't win on the truth. The truth. Yep, on the facts. Right? Mm-hmm. They have in this case, like this lady, she will not win that district. If, if you know, she she could come out, by the way. She could come out and she could say, I am against this or I'm for this gun control, and here are the reasons why. She could do that and she could try to debate that very effectively. And you know, that would be the honorable way of trying to win uh, on the issues in a seat like that. But here's what I know, and I know that Moms Demand Action also knows this, that their arguments, their debate points on those gun control issues make zero sense. Mm-hmm. And people know this, especially people in rural upstate New York. They will not buy the bullcrap. Those sorts of things will work in these bigger metropolitan areas where you have very much uninformed voters. Now, you have, un- to be fair, you have uninformed vot- voters everywhere. But I'll just tell you, based on experience from what I've seen here in the Denver metropolitan area, politically speaking, where it comes to gun control especially, people buy the crap because they don't look into it themselves and look at what the actual issues are. Anyway. And, and, and with all the all the uh, complaints about, oh, all the politicians taking money from the NRA, you know, they're, they're in the pockets. Well, this exactly shows the Moms Demand Action completely controlling candidates and what they say and what they do. Totally. So. Well, you know darn well, MDA is giving that that candidate money, and I believe it says that in the article here. Mm-hmm. And of course, like that's money in politics. You're going to say what those that are giving you money want you to say. Okay, so we got a report on this very unfortunate incident that happened a couple of days ago, uh, Sunday afternoon in Nevada, Fallon, Nevada. Uh, at a Nevada LDS church, a Mormon church. Okay. On Sunday during services, uh, a man, a member of of that particular church, that congregation, apparently he'd been sitting out in the outside of the chapel uh, or sanctuary area. And after a certain point in the meeting, he decided to go in. He walked up to a gentleman, Charles E. Burt Miller, and his brother, Dwayne Miller, who was visiting there from Utah, and the suspect, Mr. O'Connor, he opened fire on the two, but apparently his target was Burt Miller, who was a uh, longtime volunteer firefighter, well-loved, everybody liked him, and still we don't know the motive, we don't know why, um, still facts are very, you know, very, very few in this case as to exactly what went down or why it went down. Uh, in that, in the course of that, uh, Burt Miller was killed from his, uh, result of the injuries, uh, from the, from the gunfire. His brother Dwayne was shot in the leg, uh, was treated, released, is going to be okay. Um, but I bring, I mean, so obviously it hit, hit the, hit the news pretty, pretty quick on Sunday. It was kind of like an active shooter situation, which I mean, it basically was, although it happened and was over very quickly. The shooter, did the shooting, shot the guy apparently that he intended to shoot, then walked out and went to his house, which was nearby the church, and waited for cops to show up, right? Um, so fortunately, it didn't go more you know, beyond that as far as we had the one killed, one injured. Uh, it could have been way worse, but I bring it up because I think this is just another one of those things that occurs in our lives. I mean, any one of us could be you know, at church on the Sunday, at Bible study, at school, at the grocery store, whatever it is, 
you know, these are places that we get comfortable with, that we feel warm and, you know, especially at church, like you feel warm and fuzzy, you feel good. You know, that's why you go. Um, and, uh, crap can happen anywhere and we've got to be prepared no matter where we are at all times. Uh, I'll tell you in my own congregation, I am, I am watching every single thing going on in that congregation. I am, I'm looking around, I'm looking at all the people, I'm looking at people that are coming in and are leaving. Uh, we have people that, you know, are, are making sure that they're greeting people that come into the building, especially the ones we don't know. And we are constantly evaluating those, those people, right? You know, we want to be welcoming. We want it to be a, a warm atmosphere for people to feel welcome and to come into. But at the same time, we got to be evaluating and going, okay, right? You know, is we just have to be ready to flip that switch. You know, I was talking with somebody recently who was talking about school resource officers. School resource officers have a, a very difficult job and not every cop can do it because some cops are born to be cops and they're born to be, you know, guy, good guys taking bad guys down all the time, right? SROs have a unique challenge in that they have to walk this, this, this fine line between a uh, good cop or officer friendly, you know, and, and building relationships with kids and, you know, helping them with, day-to-day problems and issues and, and being a person they can trust and come to potentially with issues. And at the same time, in, in, a, in, a, in an instant, be able to flip the switch and turn into, you know, tactical cop, you know, dude that's ready to respond to a threat and take it down. And that's, that's how I feel about it. You know, any, any church security teams or, or people, you know, in a situation like that is you, you have to be warm and friendly. Hey bud, how you doing? Shake hands, make eye contact, smile, whatever it is, but in the flip of a switch, you got to be able to turn it on if something's going to go down. So Matthew, <clears throat> does this change anything for you in your day-to-day prep or, uh, probably not. Cause I know you're already, you know, I know your mindset. <laughs> no, I totally, I totally agree. And I think we, we talked about this at, at other times. Like when you know that you're one of the few people in an, in a, in a location that, uh, is armed, you know, not just walking around the mall or something like that. There's probably people walking around, but, uh, armed, but when you're in a, in a specific location where most people are probably not armed and not only that, but their, uh, situational awareness is very tuned, you know, turned down, um, in church, people are praying, they close their eyes, they bow their heads, things like that. Their, their situational awareness goes down, right? So when you realize, hey, I'm one of the only people here that probably has this mindset, it kicks me into a different mode where I am now like definitely, especially because my family's there, but like I'm definitely in the protection kind of like I'm looking out for everybody in, in, in a sense and looking for things that aren't, aren't, aren't congruent, you know, people that I don't recognize or, or, you know, not doing the, the, the things that you normally would, would expect, um, as opposed to, um, you know, walking in through the mall or something and, and you're alert, but you're more like, I'm paying attention to like what's around me. Cause I'm protecting my family. Uh, yep. so it, it's kind of like a different, a little heightened, I guess, heightened awareness. Of course. Well, that's exactly what it does for me is just like, I'm, I'm generally always already aware, you know, and, and uh, trying to have the proper mindset, but it's just, it's just that little kick in the pants. It's like, okay, you know, like this, this just happened today. And, you know, in a, in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Nevada, 
at a small sleepy congregation. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I say sleepy. I, some probably are sleeping. I, I know that I see that at our church. You know, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> no. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but you have you know, it, it's just that kick in the pants. That okay, got to make sure I stay sharp. Got to make sure I stay sharp. You know, don't get comfortable. Don't get too comfortable. All right, so we have some really good discussion going on here on Facebook. Um, uh, Michael says, we can't carry at church. I really don't like that. Now, I, I agree with you. If you're in a place or a location or jurisdiction where you can't do that, uh, you know, I, I feel I feel your pain. Um, now, so, so I'm going to address some of these kind of together. Okay, so, oh, that th- here's the follow-up from Michael. He says, in South Carolina, can't carry at church without permission from the church. I don't remember the exact statute on that. I know that doesn't sound familiar to me, but maybe that is the way it is. Jacob knows really well which states have specific uh, uh, statutes about carry carrying guns in churches. Um, there are states like that where you do, like, uh, I think Louisiana. Ohio is like that. Oh, Ohio's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there, there are states where you have to have permission from the pastor or the church itself or whatever to be able to carry there. Um, you know, there are, there are. I, I think Nebraska, I always get this wrong. And Jacob, if Jacob was here, he would get it straight because he knows. I just forget because I don't, you know, it's like one of those things like, okay, you know, like whatever. Uh, how, how often am I attending church in Nebraska? You know, like never. So, you know, it's not something I retain in the in the short-term memory banks but here's the thing if you can't carry at church uh or if you have a statute that prevents you from doing so um you know do do you do you okay you know obey the law i'm definitely an advocate for that um but there's also other things or other steps that you can take to be a little bit more prepared or ready or willing or whatever it is uh now there are some other things here so let's see there's a question about uh, most churches have schools attached to them. Can I carry a concealed firearm to church? Schools are a gun-free zone in Florida. And uh, this is a, that was a question from Jay. Jason responds, and I believe Jason lives in Florida too, uh, like Jay. My understanding is that it's a school when it's school hours and a church during the rest of the non-school hours. So this is how I'd answer this question. It depends on, on, on where you are. It depends on the state. Honestly, it depends on statute. I don't think there is a one answer fits all across the board like, well, you know, it like I, I it's not that simple, okay? You got to look at your statutes for your specific state where you are, all right? Um cuz what Jason says there is 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 probably true for some states, but probably not necessarily all, all right? Uh Michael comments isn't LDS uh rule no firearms as well. Uh that is uh that is a policy from the LDS church. That uh, basically no no guns at church. That's that is a policy. Um, so that is true. And uh, well, all I'll just say on that is a lot That's of good it did here. A lot mm-hmm. of good, unfortunately. So, <clears throat> um, Ronnie says people always find a way to hurt one another, no matter what the weapon is or no matter what the policy is. I'll add to that. How about that? Okay, good good stuff, guys. Uh, we got to move on. So first up, as far as the justified save stories, we got a bunch of these to uh, to get through. <laughs> Jay comments, it's a gray area for Florida. I guess I will throw Bibles at the shooter. <laughs> <laughs> well, do what you got to do, man. Holy water. Yeah. 
Actually, excuse me. This is not our first justified story. It kind of is maybe a justified story. Depends on, you know, we'll see how these facts get sorted out. There's got to be more to this, though. I mean, I think we'll, we'll, I hope we hear more on this. This is the story out of Florida where uh, a few days ago, a man was shot and killed um, by another man, apparently over an argument about a handicapped parking spot, right? So I'm sure virtually all of you listening to this have heard this story because this has been everywhere. And uh, this is, it's a very unfortunate story. Uh, and so we have surveillance video, right? Okay. Sorry. I'm just, uh, copying and pasting our, our link to the story here for those on, on Facebook participating so they can follow along if they'd like the, the story goes right. That you got, you got two guys, a lady, and also a little boy, right? The man that eventually gets shot goes into the convenience store with his son. I think his son's like five. Okay. Outside of the convenience store, his wife is I, probably, I'm assuming, in a vehicle. Um, another man sees that she is parked in a handicapped spot but doesn't have a tag for it. This man begins arguing with her about that. And I know eventually she ends up outside the vehicle. And so basically you have this shouting match going on between the woman, the wife of this other man. I, you know, So you have an argument between the woman and this man that is upset about parking in a handicapped spot without a permit. And apparently from a number of sources, I've seen this, this man has made similar scenes before where he has confronted people for parking there previously a number of times without handicap uh, stickers. Okay. Now to be fair, is it okay to park in a handicap zone when you don't have a sticker or a placard, or you don't have a handicap at all, yeah, it's not fair, right? <laughs> and, and for most jurisdictions, that's the law. You're going to get ticketed, usually fairly hefty ticket, if you park in that parking space without a, without a placard, right? This guy, for whatever reason, sees it as his personal mission to make sure people hear from him how terrible they are for, for doing this, okay? Uh, you know, and I guess... I guess he's welcome to do it. It's a free country, but you know, like, geez, like go find like something better to do with your time. Cause it sounds like he's done this several times. So he obviously spends a lot of time at this store, right? <laughs> so like, what the heck? All right. So the other dude with his son inside the store, you, you see him go to the door, he pays for his stuff. And, and you, I can see this change in him as you're watching the surveillance video uh, where he rec- he realizes that someone is confronting his wife. All right. What does every other man, I, mean, I don't know actually if it was a wife or if it was just a, it doesn't matter, right? Significant other. Matthew, you got a dude screaming at your wife, probably using profanities. Like, how do you respond, man? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, look, it, I, I can understand both sides, but you see what's going on and you're like, I don't know. And, and I don't truthfully, I don't know what this guy was saying or his actions, mannerisms, how, you know, you can see from the the, the, the uh, surveillance, but you can't really see how close he is to the woman at times and, and exactly what he's saying. So um, he could have been very menacingly, you know, screaming. They could have just been arguing back and forth. I don't know the size of this guy's wife. But anyways, yeah, if, if somebody's aggressively screaming at my wife and, and it looks like it's, 
you know, uh, could possibly, uh, you know, get physical, um, you're going to go and, and interject yourself in the middle and try to, you know, eat. I would try to calm the situation down, but, um, you know, Dude, and, and try to th- break it up. First, hold on there. Right? Hold on there, Matthew. You're thinking too reasonably. You walk you out know, of the store, this dude is in your wife's face, and he is screaming right? at her. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, dude, I'll, I'll just tell you, man, when I, when I first started, you know, when I heard this story, and I first start following it, and I'm, I'm looking, you know, trying to understand what's going on, I'm thinking, dude, if I've got a guy that is being verbally, I mean, this is, do we know exactly what's being said? No. But based on some eyewitness accounts and those that were like the one dude that was interviewed by the news and he was talking about, or maybe it was a lady uh, about how this guy has done this before where he has, you know, confronted people about this parking space. I've seen this situation before. I've seen, I know what those people are like, right? Mm -hmm. So you got a guy in your wife's face being verbally abusive. Mm -hmm. That's probably, I'm, Am I reading it a little bit? Probably, but that's probably what's going on here, right? Yeah, no, no, I I get it. And he, you know, he walks, he walks right up to the guy and it doesn't look like there's any sort of like, Hey, like get in the middle, like step back, you know, talk to me what's going on. It it looks like he just walks right up to the dude and like body Mm -hmm. checks him. Oh yeah. He's, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, he there's no conversation. Him. It's not like mm-hmm. what's going on out here. Like it's like he surprises he the up, dude. Yeah, and just body checks him right to the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh and whether or not it's justified or not, it's at least it stops the situation for a moment, right? Like yeah. at least it stops him from screaming. It breaks them apart. Yeah. Now, I would say in many situations, in probably most situations, like if you could play this same scenario out in a variety of convenience store parking lots across America, in most situations, that situation probably ends right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Right? Um, but it doesn't. But it right, right. And, and so if it did, we wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. So <laughs> you've got this guy. He he just got body checked almost practically. I mean, he didn't get slammed to the ground because the guy didn't go down with him. But I mean, he goes down hard, right? Mm-hmm. So he immediately turns, you know, he, he, he writes himself, he draws his weapon, he points it at the man. And, and he's still on the ground. And he's on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, you see, the, I've watched this like 50 times. Okay, probably not that many times, but, but quite a few times. There is, you, after the man pushes, so it's McLaughlin, and I don't know how to say the other dude's name, right? McLaughlin's the guy that he he's the father and the husband or whatever, right? That was inside the store that pushed the other man. We'll refer to the other man as the shooter. Okay, so you got McLaughlin, you got the shooter. McLaughlin shoves him hard, and he immediately just kind of like he shoves him, and he kind of takes like a step back. The other guy goes down. The shooter goes down. He draws out his weapon. He points it at McLaughlin. McLaughlin immediately, like, he takes, like, three steps back. Just like, whoa, 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 hey, man, you know. And I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't think he thought the dude was going to pull the trigger. No. Like, he he kind of, the way he responds, like, you see him immediately go, mm, okay, I'm backing off, but not necessarily, like, he wasn't running away, right? He backs off a couple of steps, and the shot's fired. Mm-hmm. And it's one shot, and apparently to the, to the chest, uh, and he... He expires from that from that one shot, right? So he's dead. All right, so that's the situation. It's a volatile situation. It happens very quickly. 
you know, we have to obviously look at both sides, right? You got a dude probably with a concealed carry permit. He gets suddenly just slammed out of nowhere. No warning. He goes down to the ground hard. He immediately reacts, draws out the weapon. Does he see something else there? I don't know. I don't necessarily think so. I'm watching the video. I don't necessarily see anything in McLaughlin's hands or anything that, Not or, or even no. any body, body language that looks threatening at that point. Like I know some people, nope. I've seen a lot of discussion across the interwebs the last few days and people are, you know, people taking both sides. Some people suggesting, well, maybe that dude is going to come back. Well, except that he wasn't, he you know, when the gun came out, he started stepping, he, he was backpedaling, not mm-hmm. super quick. But it's not the ling- it's not the body language, you know, to suggest that he's about to come back after him, right? And I'll tell you what, you got the gun in your hand. If he suddenly changes and he starts coming back, well, then you, I mean, like you've got it's not maybe not a lot of time, but you've got the time to then pull, the, you know, make the decision to pull the trigger. Here's the problem. All right, so we got a lot of discussion going on on Facebook. Um, Jay lives down in Florida, and he says this. I'm sorry, but that four-second pause is raising some huge questions. I agree. Absolutely. For the moment, the violent push and the shot is about four seconds. In four seconds, there is time to make a decision. Here's the problem, though. The problem for the shooter. His problem is that he had already made the decision to pull the trigger. I, I totally agree with you there. I totally agree. And that's why um, I, I think it for, – for me, I think this guy – finally picked his, picked the battle that he was going to bring the gun to. Like, yeah. I, I'm sure he, he had his gun yeah. when he confronted all the others. But I think he finally said, like, this is the one where I'm going to put my foot down and I'm not going to just let this person drive away. And I'm not, you know, I'm gonna- it's probably the first time he got physical. And exactly. it got physical in a very, honestly, a violent way. And like, I could understand and let let me put myself in in the other dude's shoes, right? Like just because you confront somebody over a parking spot doesn't necessarily mean that you deserve to be knocked to the ground. I I get that, right? But you get knocked to the ground. It wasn't like he cracked his, he hit his head and he started to get woozy or something like that, right? It wasn't like he fell and broke his arm or broke his hip and he was in a, you know, a, a position where he couldn't be mobile. He couldn't get up. And the guy was menacing over him. He pulled the gun because, you know, he couldn't physically move because he was injured or something. He got pushed to the ground. Yeah, it was violent, but he got pushed to the ground. That was it. Um, it wasn't like the guy was continuing the attack. It stopped right there. And I understand like they're saying it's a stand your ground type thing. I don't really see it as a stand your ground issue because, like the fact that the, the issue is, is even he, like in, in the situation, it wasn't like he couldn't have escaped or he would have had to show that he, all, all he had to say was I was on the ground. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't retreat anyways. Right. So yeah. like, I don't think the standard ground thing is necessarily going to be like the issue. I think it's going to be, was he justified in, in, in you know, period. Um, what was there an honest and reasonable threat? And I don't think I just, you know, like I said, it's hard to say the guy obviously had his reasons for shooting, but I don't think that they were justified in the context of self-defense. I just don't like, I think it's going to be, I really think it's, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But in both people, it was a cascading of errors on both sides, right? Sure. Sure. Totally. There's errors on both sides. So, but, that doesn't necessarily mean or give the justification that 
you know, de- that it should go to deadly force. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of great, I mean, I'll tell you what, boy, if I ever find myself in a situation where I find somebody accosting my wife being, you know, verbally rude or, or even abusive towards her, uh, this, this is one case that I will definitely have in the back of my mind. I'll go, okay. Like, even though the first reaction might be to do something, uh, or, you know, or, you know, to be the man and, you know, and like, you know, try to step in there and defend your wife or whatever it is, or even a kid, you know, if it's one of your kids, um, I'll definitely think twice. Uh, and you know, this, this will stay with me for a while. I, I can tell you that, um, we'll definitely be following this case. I mean, here's the thing. The sheriff said he was that They didn't arrest the guy, you know, and they're not pursuing charges. At least the county is not. And the sheriff has said, well, because it falls under stand your ground. And without further derailing us from where we got to go with our remaining stories for today's episode, to be honest with you guys, and I know this for a fact because I've already talked with him. I know exactly what he'd say. um, And that's Mr. Branca. This is not even a stand your ground case. It's not. Right? What is stand your ground? Stand your ground is a law that removes the duty to retreat outside of the home. Okay. This guy, he, by nature of him being shoved down the way he was, um, and the fact that it's, the physical encounter has already occurred, like, there's no longer, like, he doesn't, like, it could be argued, especially if he has any sort of physical handicap at all, it could be argued that he does not have the ability at this point to retreat. Exactly. Okay? Exactly. So, and besides the fact, even if, and here's what I, got, what I get so frustrated about with the media, because you've seen this all across the media, stand your ground, stand your ground, stand your ground. In Florida, this is what happens when you have stand your ground. Guess what? A lot of states, like 30-some-odd states, have stand your ground statutes, okay? Or statutes like them. Um, stand your ground does not just like, it doesn't change magically somehow the law in the, in terms of the context where you can shoot people. Right. Like the, the, you still have to have an imminent threat against life or, or grave or serious bodily injury. And you can't be the initial aggressor. Now I know there are some of the point of the story, and I even had some comments like this where I, I, I on Facebook I commented something, you know, because that was early on. I didn't see some of the other surveillance video that came out a little bit later, um, so it was a little unclear as to whether there whether the man that did the shooting was an initial aggressor or not. Uh, but typically in most states, in most case law, verbal. I mean, there are probably certain things you could say that might cross the line. Depends on on the state. Um, in the case law, you might find yourself under, but most cases, words that you say won't automatically m- make you the initial aggressor. Okay, so let's make sure that that's clear. But basically, you you can't be the initial aggressor, and you've got to have a imminent threat to, towards your life or the life of someone else or grave bodily injury. Right, like that's the conditions. Those conditions don't change because of stand your ground. It just simply removed a duty to retreat. So that's got to be clear. And I think we as advocates of the Second Amendment and of self-defense and concealed carry and all this, if you guys are out there interacting with people on social media, you need to be good stewards of concealed carry and even stand your ground law and pointing out to people, this is not a stand your ground case. It's not stand your ground that, I mean, 
that's what the sheriff said, and he's wrong, and that frustrates the heck out of me because it tells me the sheriff doesn't even understand how the law works, right? It's not a stand-your-ground case, all right? And I hope and think that it's got to be a grand jury that intervenes, and that apparently that's what might happen now is uh, it might be even a state uh, prosecutor or state grand jury or some, you know, that's what I see happening next because I think this has to be looked at closer by somebody other than that sheriff. And I'm saying, you know, we don't have all the facts of, of everything that happened in the situation, including from the perspective of the shooter. It doesn't look good for him, but because of the video, because of eyewitness accounts, because of what we do know somewhat, at least is something that has to be looked at closer. And you can't just wrongly say because of stand your ground, we're not arresting this guy. It has to be looked at. All right. Yeah, a lot of comments here, guys. We got to move on. So here we go. Justified saves. We'll follow the story and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Burglary suspect killed by man inside St. Louis home. St. Louis police say a burglary suspect is dead after being shot by a man in the home that was victimized. The St. Louis Post-Dispatch reports that the shooting happened around 3 a.m. Monday. Four people told police they were inside the home when a man kicked in the bottom of a locked door and climbed through. Police say a 21-year-old man shot the intruder, identified as 43-year-old Maurice Pollard. Pollard was pronounced dead at the hospital. And what I found interesting about this story, and it's the reason I left it in the article or in the outline, is that Pollard lived apparently in the same block as this man. So sometimes crime comes from, you know, like very, very, very close to home. And I'll tell you this, my wife had her bike stolen a few years ago, right out because it was left outside of the house. She forgot about it. And the, the dude that took it, he was caught. We found him. Police found him. Uh, he lived just, just down the block. You know, just a guy, look, he just saw an opportunity, opp- you know, a crime of opportunity. And uh, so anyway, there you go. First justified safe story. Don't have a lot to, to add. I told you we're, we're, we're going to give you all these stories because – a lot of them and I just didn't feel like cutting any more out. Uh, I've got some thunder going on outside. Uh, Helena police. And when I first see this, you know, like especially living in the Northwest, like I used to, you see Helena, you immediately think Helena, Montana, but this is actually Helena, Alabama. Uh, 6 PM Sunday, Helena police were called to the Fox Valley apartments in Maylene to respond to a shooting call. When they arrived, they found 39 year old Jim Boykin who lived at the complex dead from a gunshot wound. Here's what's interesting. What's interesting is that after taking witness statements, police said it appeared that Boykin was behaving erratically, accosted a female neighbor at her apartment, and she shot Boykin in self-defense. According to police, the 46-year-old female recently filed a report with Helena police and said that Boykin threatened her with physical harm. A warrant was issued for him in that case. He was later arrested, but he was out on bond pending a court date. I'll tell you, it's likely because of the report and the charge and the bond and everything it's likely that there was a protective order also issued in this in, in this situation against this man a lot of good it did but at least this woman was prepared and was able to defend herself when the moment came mm-hmm. and, and, and a lot of times protective orders I, I i'm not one of those that says like a protective order is useless because it does give the the police tools um to to use to arrest people but uh there is a there is correlation between protective orders and an increase in uh, violence towards the person who who uh, had that uh, or seek 
that protective order. Um, so a lot of times that is a catalyst for more aggression towards the person. So totally. uh, there is an argument to, to be said, uh, you know, against protective orders and that some, sometimes the argument that's used, I still think protective orders are more good than bad uh, as far as being able to give the police tools to, to arrest and, and document and things like that. But you have to, uh, that's why firearms is the great equalizer. We say it all the time, but yep. In a note, I mean, this kind of, that case sort of feels like a domestic type case, right? We don't know that for sure. It doesn't really say there was a relationship between the woman and the man, but obviously something was going on there. Um, but we have a couple of cases today, stories that are kind of similar. We have quite a few domestic situations in today's episode. Uh, next one up from Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, Clark County. Um, there was a man shot, 40-year-old 40, 40 Michael Anthony Garcia. The man that was shot was shot by his wife in their backyard. Here's apparently the way it went down. Um, it appears there was, a, there was a situation of domestic violence. Police say they were called to that house before, and the woman had a restraining order against her husband. Now, this is interesting because, I don't know, he was still there. She was still there. Um, it's unclear whether that restraining order was active, it says, according to the article. Um, but what happened is that the woman called 911 to report the shooting. So after the, it happened, she said her husband was in the shed. He called her out to the shed and threatened her with a gun, and she shot him. So it sounds as though she had her own gun. And she must have had a good, I mean, she obviously was ready or expecting, you know, at any moment that something might or could happen because she was, it sounds that way. I don't know. This is pretty, pretty bizarre. Hey, honey, come out to the shed, you know, and next thing you know, she's having to shoot him because he was going to shoot her crazy stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of domestic stuff, uh, this, this week. Um, but yeah, it just, it just shows, you know, when, when these domestic violence restraining orders kick in and they prohibit somebody from owning a firearm. And I said it before, a lot of times domestic violence issues, they go back and forth, right? One gets arrested this time, one gets arrested the next time. Um, restraining orders, both sides, people get banned from owning firearms. Well, it, it, at that point, if they're both banned from owning firearms, it just depends on who's going to be the aggressor that day if they bring a firearm and the other person's not going to be able to defend yeah. themselves. So it, it, I, I understand it, it's, a, it's a sticky situation, especially totally. with domestic stuff. But it's Crazy, man. Next story. Woman shoots, guess, guess what? Ex-boyfriend. <laughs> it's another one. Woman shoots ex-boyfriend who kicked down her door, please say. We've, I've, I can't tell how many stories we've had that have been pretty much just like this. You know, an, an ex-lover of some sort, frustrated about, you know, the breakup or a restraining order or whatever it is, comes back, breaks in a window, breaks down a door, whatever it is. And this was in South Fulton County, Georgia. Uh, the ex-boyfriend came. He kicked in her front door uh, and she was able to grab a gun and shoot him. So it says here that she actually warned the man several times that she would shoot him if he didn't stop coming toward her. According to detectives, she fired three shots, hitting him once in the chest. Uh, it's not implied. It doesn't really say whether the other two shots just completely missed or if they didn't hit him in the chest, just that the one hit him in the chest. He was taken to Grady Memorial. And, uh, yeah, so apparently, now this is also interesting. Back in March, 
she said that she fired multiple shots outside her house. Uh, now, by the way, the man survived his uh, his gunshot wound, and uh, ch- charges will be coming up against him. So, uh, obviously, big time issues there. And this woman has more than once fired her gun, apparently in defense. Uh, whew, man. She's dating a lot of bad dudes, I think. <laughs> a lot of le- lot less women kicking in doors of ex-boyfriends true. To, to assault them, right? Yeah, <laughs> just that's a, true. Just something I, I picked up on here. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, man. But once again, you know, I, I'm enthused about the fact that these women have taken, you know, into their own hands, their own, you know, they've taken responsibility for their own protection and defense. And then they've been able to do so because there are plenty of cases. We see them all, you know, we don't report on those. Are there a lot of cases where domestic violence issues result in that woman being killed? Oh yeah. It happens all the time. Uh, very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, I'll just take the, take the lead on this next one. This one was, uh, it says here, Dur- Durham or Durham clerk shoots Robert with his own gun. This according to WRAL.com, Durham, North Carolina. Give us the, give us the rundown. So uh, a clerk in Durham convenience store wrestled away a gun from a man attempting to rob him Monday night and turned the weapon on the would-be thief. Police say they found Kevin White, 38, on Hillcrest Drive with gunshot wound to his legs. It uh, should be gunshot wounds to his legs, right? Just before 10 p.m. Uh, they linked him to a report of a shooting at a robbery at the nearby Guest Road Mini Mart. So apparently this guy robbed uh, robbed a Mini Mart, goes down and tries to rob another place. And although this didn't turn out too well for him, uh, Clerk Zayed Omar said that the man uh, matching White's description brought a beer to the counter, then pulled a gun and declared his intention to rob the store. Omar said he struggled with the man, was able to get his gun and shoot him. Uh, I took the gun from his hand and we fought before and we fight before I take the gun. And then I took the gun from him and shot him two times, Omar said. Uh, there's a picture of the suspect. When the suspect ran, Omar called the police. It was scary. I wanted to sh- he wanted to shoot me. It was so scary, Omar said, nothing that it was the first time, noting that it was the first time he had ever fired a gun. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Omar said that he had to act because he feared for his life. I did not want to shoot him, he said. Um, so now he's considering getting a gun of his own. There you go. Omar, please get some training. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and I hope training. the next time you fire a gun is a much more positive experience as opposed to <laughs> having to actually shoot somebody. And center mass, center mass, Omar, center mass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, uh, you know, I think it's remarkable. You got a guy yeah. that he just did, I guess, what he felt like he needed to do. And he didn't have anything on him. He just grabbed the gun, managed to win that fight. He's lucky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it worked out. So, Omar, sure, buy a gun. Do your thing, buddy. And uh, North Carolina, uh, we might have an instructor somewhere near there. You can go take a class. Do that. That'd be a great start. (laughs) Okay. Next story. This is kind of on the flip side of the husband-wife, you know, uh, dynamic. Uh, As far as this is not a domestic violence issue necessarily, as far as we can tell. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here between the suspects and the woman. But in this case, you have a husband that had to defend his wife. In Houston, Texas, uh, police say a man got, a husband got into a shootout with two gunmen 
who grabbed his pregnant wife and tried to force her inside the couple's house on the city's south side. Investigators tell uh, tell us that around 10.30 p.m. Tuesday, the woman was standing in the driveway next to the couple's suburban when the incident happened. The man says he was inside the home when he heard his wife screaming. When he went to the window, he saw two men with guns trying to push and drag his wife into the home. Police say he grabbed his pistol, went outside, and confronted them. This is an interesting situation, right, Matthew? Because there's plenty of times where we talk about, I'm going to talk about it here in just a second with one of these other stories, where we talk about, you know, concealed carriers or, or, or gun owners that go outside of the home to confront, mm-hmm. you know, a would-be, you know, someone that's committing a crime. And, you know, there's, there's in many of those cases, no need for the gun owner to do that, to go outside of their secure area and confront the thief or whatever, you know, whatever it is they're doing. Um, in this case, you got a dude whose <laughs> wife is being attacked by two armed men. Yeah. Um, and it's, and he, and not only that, but they're trying to bring her to the home. Now we could talk about tactical sort of things, advantages and whatnot, as far as whether it would be more advantageous to confront those two men outside the home, like this man did, or, you know, find a good place to sort of take some cover, or, you know, wait on them to come into the home where they're maybe not expecting. Uh, of course they probably weren't expecting this guy to come right outside the door and shoot them either. But, um, either way, like this is this is one of those situations where it's acceptable that you are using deadly force in defense of the life of your wife and unborn child. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff, man. That's what this guy does and um, shot one of the suspects. The other one, I guess, just ran off or whatever. I, I believe – no, it says the second gunman got away. So the, the other suspect, though, that was wounded uh, has is being charged. But he was taken to the yeah, hospital it, in critical condition. And they exchange gunfire, which yeah. is, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, we talk how how remotely or how remote the instance of like a hostage situation. Now, it doesn't say in this situation that it was necessarily a hostage situation like that you think of somebody's holding, you know, the wife and they have a gun to her head or something. The typical hostage like, right. oh, I got to shoot him in the brainstem or whatnot. It's probably not something like that. They're probably grabbing, pulling and is dynamically moving around. He comes out and starts shooting and they break contact with the woman to try to, you know, re-engage him. But um the, you know, it's interesting because when you think of tactically speaking, your wife's in the middle. I'm assuming, you know, she's pregnant. Uh, I'm assuming she's not armed, right? Because she probably would have engaged uh, the suspects too. But so she's caught in the middle of yeah. the husband shooting at the bad guys and the bad guy shooting at the husband. And that's problem. I mean, I don't know all the dynamics if she sucks, you know, seeks cover, she's out of the way and then they start, you know, blasting each other, whatever. Um, but like, that's something that's interesting to me about this case. Like I'm thinking, man, I, I'm wondering, you know, like you're saying, is an ambush type thing better, right. Than trying to just ambush them out in the open, um, or, you know, setting up more of an ambush. I don't know. Um, but that is like a tactical thing, that a, a nightmare, tactical nightmare, I think, totally. um, trying to, to negotiate that, especially with two armed, two armed bad guys. Um, and then the other thing that he says that he grabbed his gun and then went out. So he obviously didn't have his gun with him. It was carrying yeah. it. You know, not everybody carries it at home, but we, you know, we kind of 
talk about that um, oftentimes, like, um, you know, caring in your home and, and things like that. But I mean, what if he would have been outside, maybe in the backyard or something, he's walking around the front and now he sees this. Now he's got to run inside to get his gun or they see him before he can get his gun. Now he's at a very bad disadvantage. And so is his wife and his unborn child. So uh, a lot of, a lot of takeaways and, and weird store, like weird, weird dynamics in this one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing up the point as far as this is quite a situation where, you got the the armed men, you got your wife, you got you and, you know, potentially your wife's between you and them. And, you know, you like, you got to really be mindful of where she's at in relation to, I mean, it, not just whether you might hit her potentially, we don't want that obviously, but that, you know, these guys are going to start engaging back uh, with gunfire and, you know, she might get struck by one of them as they're trying to deal with you. Um, I was just reminded of, uh, it was today, uh, announced by the LAPD. We had this situation at the Trader Joe's a couple of days ago where, uh, uh, you know, suspect was, you know, holed up in this Trader Joe's store and eventually he was killed, uh, by police. But in that exchange of gunfire, as they, as they took him out, there was, a store employee of Trader Joe's that was killed as well. And uh, what was just announced today is that forensics is showing that the woman killed during the shootout was struck by an LAPD officer's bullet. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I mean, like now this sort of thing doesn't necessarily happen often where innocents are struck by uh, gunfire, particularly from a good guy. Um, but it does and can happen. We've got to be, we've we got to understand the con potential consequences of not performing well under stress, not being ready, not being prepared, or not using good tactical uh, methods, you know, as far as how you're moving or how you're taking up cover or, or if you're even paying any attention to uh, the surroundings, the environment, as you are engaging these bad guys. If you've got somebody, whether in the background or the foreground, that, is an innocent and is caught in the crossfire or, well, I guess they're in the background and maybe not necessarily in the crossfire, but we've got to be aware of that and try to change our angle uh, of attack if need be. Those sorts of things. Um, and make every single shot count if possible. So yeah, quite a story there. Um, all right. So next story, mom grabs gun and in home invasion. Shots fired, police say. This happened in Hummelstown, Pennsylvania. Not a whole lot to this story, um, but we have a break-in. It happened at 2 a.m. Two men entered the home. A uh, family dog alerted the family inside to the intruders. The men confronted a woman and her two children. Uh, feeling threatened, she ran to her bedroom and grabbed her gun. Uh, there was an exchange of gunfire, it says. Uh, two shots were fired, but no one was injured but that was enough for the suspects to flee away in a car that was parked next to the house. And I believe they're still trying to find who these individuals were. So scary stuff, but a mama, a mama bear, once again, uh, ready and able and willing to respond, um, says that she was able to grab her gun. Now this is 2 AM. So be thinking about how you're staging your guns, um, how you're going to access them, practice, you know, accessing that safe. If, if, the, if it is in fact in a safe, we'll practice that. Um, those sorts of things, and then have things staged in such a way that if you got to go to that safe and grab that gun, it's ready to be used in its most effective configuration as possible. 
Final story. Man fatally shoots alleged carjacker in southeast Houston. This one's got quite a interesting dynamic to it. But basically what happened at around 2 a.m. at an apartment complex, a man uh, was coming home. when, And we had a similar story to this once where a guy coming home, apparently, to his apartment in the parking lot um, was basically attacked or, or robbed or whatever, confronted by several armed men. And in that instance, he was lucky to get away with, you know, he was lucky to survive. This guy's also lucky. Now, what happened here is he came home, three armed men approached him and carjacked him. So they took the car. Okay. Uh, apparently, he was left behind, which is good for him. The three men got delayed when they couldn't leave the exit gate. So this must have been like a gated community, right? And they couldn't get out the exit with the vehicle. They didn't know how to do it, required a code or special, I don't know, something. They couldn't get out. So they had to leave the vehicle behind, and when they were doing so, the man who was carjacked came to retrieve his vehicle. At least two of the robbers started firing gunshots at the man, who then also returned fire. Uh, he struck one of them in the middle of the road, who was taken to the hospital and died. So this is quite a story. Guy carjacked, he's just coming home, they take the vehicle, they can't get out of the complex, but yet apparently... Not, maybe it's not that far to the exit. Maybe he sees that they get stuck. And for I don't know why he went uh, after them or after the vehicle, but he did. And as he came to them, a gunfight occurred. So he's lucky. I mean, it says they 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 the shots were ex- exchanged. So things were going two ways. Crazy stuff. Uh- and I, I think just judging on face value from the story, it looks like he didn't have his gun in a car-mounted holster. He had it on him unless he went to the car and retrieved it. But um, another reason why to have your firearm on you instead of staged in the car because these guys steal his car, they take his gun as well, you know, um, his way to, to, to defend himself. So, um you know, I don't know if he got in the car first and got his gun and then they start shooting at him or whatnot. But um, at least from the story, it seems like he gets to his car. They see him. They start shooting. He, you know, draws his firearm and starts shooting back. So, um, yeah, pretty interesting, really interesting story. Um, I mean, and I'm, I'm trying to think what I would do. You know, I see somebody take my car. They're maybe 100, you know. 200 feet down, uh, they bail out of the car and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get my car and see if like they're getting into another car. I walk up, you know, maybe tr- I would try to like, you know, make sure they couldn't see me as I approach. I wouldn't want to, you know, necessarily stick myself out there. Um, and maybe, but maybe they do see him. He gets there a little too soon. They see him and they start shooting at him. So, um, yeah. You know, I don't know if he went after the people. He could have. I don't know. I'm just thinking, what would I have done? You know, would I have just taken off? Or even if I see them bail out of the car, I don't know. Um, but, you yeah. know. You know, it, it's understandable. I mean, so let's say you get carjacked, right? You got you, you grab your cell phone. You call 911. Uh, you know, you might be inclined to at least be able to tell dispatch mm-hmm. which direction, you know, that. I mean, I would assume probably. And maybe wrongfully so. I don't know. Uh, but I can see it happening where you follow. Because once they take your vehicle, well, you, you're probably assuming, okay, they got the, my car. They're out of here. Like mm-hmm. the, There's no more threat or whatever. Like 
I, I can't do anything to stop them with my, you know, from taking my car. They already got it, so away they go. But I might kind of run down the street and okay, they went down, they went northbound yep. on such and such street, you know, mm-hmm. and hopefully there's a patrol car somewhere in the area that might just get you know lucky enough to be right there and intercept um you know and as he's doing that he comes across them as they can't get out of the gate whatever i don't know but here's the first mistake the man made and this is what i would take from this and hopefully learn from it and it's similar to the lesson to be learned from the other incident that we reported on the podcast before that played out very similarly in that a man coming home late at night in a parking lot at his apartment complex gets carjacked so the first mistake is be aware of your surroundings. And that includes not just when you're out in the street, walking down the street, looking around you, being mindful of what's what's out there when you're doing that. But when you're driving in that car, when you're parking it in a parking lot, when you're coming home, whatever it is, there's been plenty of cases where someone's pulling into the garage and they're not aware or paying attention to there's somebody hiding in the bushes over here off to the side waiting for as soon as you get that car through the garage they're going to rush through the through the garage door and get inside that that's happened right so like we have to do everything we can to be paying attention don't get too much into the routine of you know cuz those are those daily things you do you hop in the car in the morning you leave for work you come home from work you 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 park in your usual spot or whatever it is and and like you just like those mindless things you do over and over on a daily basis, those are prime opportunities for us to get a little bit lax about that situational awareness and personal security. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so I I was like, okay, we're going to try to keep this episode to an hour. (laughs) What was I thinking? Matthew, you got to talk sense into me, bro. Was this like two or three hours? (laughs) Uh, We're we're at uh, an hour and 50 minutes, it looks like. Ah! Oh, I, you know, I thought we could get through this, you know, faster than we than we usually do, but it's just wow, so much. I mean, I know we talked about a lot of like justified safe stories that we we probably could have cut that down to three or four, but but you know, th- there was just so. I mean, like we already cut out stories, and I I wanted to use this as an opportunity to, to sort of remind ourselves of th- look how often this stuff happens. Like this is just a few select stories from across America. And this is from the last two weeks because we haven't really. I mean, do you have? Well, really, really, most of those were in the last last week. Sure. I pulled most because I I started at the most current and started going back. And once I got to like ten of this week, I was like, Jeez. well, I'm I can't go. <laughs> I can't go right. any further back." So, yeah, yeah. I mean, there you go. I mean, so I just had this conversation with with somebody recently talking about regular people defending themselves. And I said, look on the podcast. I mean, this is what we do. Like we look at these stories every week and there is no shortage of them. And what I can tell you with confidence is that every single day in this country, in America, a good person with a gun stops a bad guy. Not necessarily always with a gun. Sometimes they got other weapons too, right? Every day in this country, regular people, you know, they have this conversation came up with somebody because they, they said something about, uh, you know, how we can't expect untrained, you know, basically non cops and so forth, how we can't expect untrained individuals to make critical decisions like, you know, life or death decisions in those, in those moments like that. And I was like, well, I understand that. Like, certainly, I mean, I'm definitely an advocate of training. I mean, we, we preach about that all the time. I definitely went Omar, you know, 
Mr. Mm. Grocery store, uh, convenience store clerk, go get some training, bud. Yeah, definitely do that. Um, get all the training you can. But what I could tell you with confidence is that regular people every day, sometimes with very minimal training, if any at all, are able to defend themselves. It doesn't excuse the rest of us from not being trained and prepared, but it just lets us know that humans are amazing individ- you know, creatures, that we, we are able to... Uh, sometimes when it counts, and sometimes we we sometimes we lose, and sometimes we make the wrong decisions, like the dude in Florida over the parking spot. I would say it's probably the wrong decision what he did. Sometimes we make those wrong decisions, but by and large, like ninety ninety five percent of plus of the time, people generally get it right. Don't be lax about it. Don't think oh I'll be fine, but just understand that this this is America, and I'm proud of the fact that we have the right to defend ourselves the way we do. So time to wrap it up. A reminder of today's episode being brought to you by the mission first tactical IWB OWB appendix ambidextrous holster. <laughs> Such everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can do everything. Uh, check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash MFT holster. And also today's episode brought to you by the holster partner which you can check, and it's a sweat guard, shield, whatever thing that you can attach to holsters that don't have one or don't have a large enough one. Check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash holster partner. Jay says, last comment here, people spend too much time hitting paper and not doing real training. That's definitely true. Uh, Good thoughts, Jay. Thank you, everybody, that um, participate in today's episode, uh, including live on Facebook. Michael says, long podcast. Well, Michael, apparently have, apparently haven't listened to our last few uh, news episodes. They're, they've been trending towards like two hours. <laughs> so, uh, that's true. Um, yeah, trying to make up for the last couple of weeks, not necessarily, but uh, I appreciate that, that, you, that you like the podcast. And Charlie says, please don't force a short podcast. Rather, let the discussion go its natural course. That's generally been our rule. Um, yeah, we, we aim for an hour every week and every week we pass it. So thank you guys. We appreciate your support. Um, hit us up with any questions or comments or whatever that you might have at podcast at concealed Our next episode is going to be basically a big old Q and a session. Uh, so we will be uh, doing that here. Actually, we're going to do it here tonight. Assuming Matthew's still okay to do it. No, what? Oh uh, no, no, no. Um, we, we have a bunch of questions that have come into the uh, podcast uh, question line, and I want to just address those. Uh, so that we're going to take probably about a 20-minute break or so, and then we're going to come back live on Facebook and, and do that Q&A session. If Matthew needs to check out, then he can check it out, Check out, and I'll, uh, I'll finish up that episode by myself. Well, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Have a good one. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.